Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Hope you've had a great weekend. It's been beautiful. I don't know what the day holds or the next day, but we've already had a couple of good days. I had a, a great time yesterday uh, celebrating a, a wedding with and doing a wedding for a couple that have known for a number of years and family to, from the church here. And we were up at Metamora Fields. Man, what a beautiful place to do a wedding. And uh, it was really, really nice out there yesterday. So uh, you never know with outdoor weddings. It's, uh, it's kind of like 50-50 half the time, so you never know. I've, I've done some really great outdoor weddings, and I've done some ones that are like, oh my gosh. But there is a backup plan up there. If, if, it, if it's really hot, lousy outside, you do go upstairs and do the thing. So still, still was a great day. Uh, today we're in the fifth week of a series on prayer. Uh, talking about that, we'll conclude our series next week. Uh, Nate, our worship pastor, is going to actually lead you to kind of a different type of format, talking about prayer and worship and, uh, and song and, and music and how God uses that sometimes to help us to focus our attention upon him. And so he's going to be leading that next week uh, in, in our service time together. Today, though, I want to talk about an area that we sometimes don't really know a lot about, especially in evangelical circles. Um, something that for some reason that we don't talk a lot about. Matter of fact, when I was a kid growing up in church, I heard hundreds of sermons, sat through hundreds of probably small groups, Sunday school classes, things like that, participated in dozens and dozens of uh, church activities, programs. I mean, I grew up in the church. I don't remember a time when I was never in church. I mean, that's how churched I am. And, um, and, and the thing is, is through all those years saturated in church, I do not remember, thinking about it a few years ago, I do not remember my pastor or any of the pastors I had during those times one time ever doing a, a message on fasting. Uh, it was something that we didn't really talk a lot about. I do not remember a small group less than on it. I don't ever remember our church being called to a time of prayer and fasting. We, we have special prayer times, but prayer and fasting as, as we sought after God on some important decision. So by default, in a sense, I kind of grew up thinking fasting was something they did in the Old Testament, kind of like animal sacrifices. You know, it was great then, but we don't do it now. And that wasn't too, I wasn't too upset by that because the idea of going extended periods of time without eating didn't sound too good to me anyway. And uh, maybe that's one of the reasons we don't do as much, much of it today because we think it's all about not eating. But as we will learn today from Scripture, it's about much more than that. Um, it's interesting, though, a few years later as I was studying Scripture, and I'd read this Scripture before but never paid a lot of attention to it, and I was reading through Matthew chapter 6, I came upon this verse in particular. It says this. This is Jesus' teaching. It says, Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, it says, when you fast. Now, let's stop there. This is Jesus' teaching. What does he not say? If you fast. It's an assumed practice. This was in the middle of Jesus' teaching. He taught on, on giving. He taught on, in verse 2, he taught on, he taught on praying in verse 5. And then he talks about fasting in verse 16. He talks about when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Jesus assumes that his audience will give, they will pray, and they will fast. In a sense, what we learn from Scripture, and it's something that sometimes I was kind of over, overlooked and not thought about a lot years ago, was Jesus assumes this, and fasting is not an option. Fasting, according to Jesus, is a given. In fact, fasting is mentioned more times in Scripture than baptism. Really? Yeah, it is. And so obviously it's a big deal. So I want to talk about that today and why uh, I want us to understand what it's all about. It, it sometimes it's not so much. We make the big deal about not eating food. You know, it's kind of like, you ever been to, um, <laughs> you ever a guy had blood work? Nobody here's ever had blood work, you know, none of you. Uh, but you have blood work and they'll say, you know, you've got to fast 
from like midnight on until you have your blood work. And so they'll get real frantic in the doctor's office going like, okay, we'll get you in as early as possible. You know, like, I mean, doing without a meal is going to be a big deal for us. Obviously in America it is, you know, because we freak out over those types of things. But probably do good for us to go without a meal once in a while. I'm not saying anything, you know, about anybody in particular. But I'm just simply saying, you know, we act like it's just a big deal. So every time I, I was had blood work a couple of weeks ago, and, and uh, the doctor said, you know, the, the nurse went making the, the uh, appointment said, I'll get you in as early as, I just laughed. And she's going, what are you laughing about? I said, well, you know, what's the big deal about going, you know, you make it at one o'clock in the afternoon, I don't care. Yeah, but most people really care. And I'm going, okay, whatever. So, see, fasting has been about not eating. It's not really about that. It's more than that. It's, it's mentioned many times in Scripture. Now I want to talk about first this morning about several areas in Scripture that will help us to understand what fasting was all about in Scripture, this assumed practice that Jesus talks about. Then I want to specifically hone in on a verse in the Old Testament that kind of helps us to understand some things about fasting. Then I want to close with a challenge for us today as well. In the Bible, we observe the people of God fasting for all kinds of reasons, a variety of reasons, kind of similar. And I'm not going to give you every one of these things, but let me give you a few this morning. First of all, the first thing we see, I see in the Old Testament, was Moses fasted uh, before he received the Ten Commandments. He was going up to the mountain. He was going to get the message from God, and so he fasted. It says this in Exodus chapter 34. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. I call that the ultimate fast. I do not recommend that type of fast, okay? The food part is doable. The drinking water part, I just, I just don't think that's really healthy. But obviously Moses did it. And uh, anyway, and it says, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, Ten Commandments. So as he was preparing to get from God the message from God, the Ten Commandments, the big ten, top ten, what he did is he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights before he received. Uh, another time, the Israelites fasted before a miraculous victory. We read over in 2 Chronicles about how the nation of Israel was going through this time of intense persecution and it's, this enemy was coming upon them. And so it says this in 2 Chronicles 20. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, who was king, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar. And it, to verify what that means, it says, by the way, that's an En Gedi. Like, now that clarifies everything. I already know where that's at now, right? I th when I read that, I'm going like, I don't have a clue. That just made it more confusing. But it really doesn't matter. He said, so alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah, for a whole nation. Uh, because they were getting ready to be uh, uh, you know, attacked. And what happens after this, there's a miraculous victory there. Other places in the Old Testament as well. Daniel, a guy that we know from Daniel in the lion's den fame. Um, Daniel fasted in order to receive guidance from God. It says in Daniel 9, 3, it says, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. And then later on in verses 21 and 22, it says, while I was still in prayer, while I was in this process of prayer, praying and fasting, Gabriel, the man I had seen in an earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. So in this instant, instance, what happened, Daniel fasted and prayed to give insight and understanding into his life. Um, Nehemiah, one of my favorite characters, and if you've never read the book of Nehemiah, I challenge you to do that. Man, it's a great book on leadership. Probably the best leadership book, except for the teachings of Jesus and all of Scripture. Nehemiah. 
Nehemiah was, was, was challenged. He was in exile. He was, he was given a task, and he felt God called him to, to go and to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that were torn down in, in disrepair. And he had this huge task before him, and he didn't know how to get it resolved. And so it says Nehemiah fasted before he began this rebuilding process. And so when he hears about the walls being down, he says this in Nehemiah 1.4, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept, and for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He was getting ready to undertake some major project in his life, and he felt inadequate to do so, and so he fasts and he prays. Then we come to the New Testament, and we see Jesus. Jesus, before he, he, he started his ministry, his public ministry, it says that he fasted uh, during, uh, during the time in the wilderness. And in uh, Luke chapter 4, it says, For forty wilderness days and nights he was tested by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. When the time was up, he was hungry. Well, that's not surprising if he did anything for 40 days. But during that time, if you read the context of that, Jesus was, was praying to the Father. He was out there struggling with the direction of ministry. This is Jesus, the direction of his life. And then we also see something that probably really applies to us even more. The first Christians fasted during decision-making times. In Acts chapter 13, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. As the early church was getting ready to focus their attention upon leadership and the right leadership, they felt a need to spend time not just asking questions, not just interviewing people, but fasting and praying. Because they wanted direction from God. Because remember we talked about prayer, we've been doing this for four weeks, but three weeks ago when we began the process... And we talked about the, the thing in Matthew chapter 6 about the preface to prayer. And then we talked about the model prayer. It said that prayer really, when Jesus taught about model prayer, the first thing that he said that we were to do in prayer is to recognize who God is. The second thing is to yield to his will. And the third part is to acknowledge our dependence upon him. And we can't do that sometimes. It doesn't happen in five minutes. I wish it did. But it doesn't happen. It's, it's a struggle sometimes in our life. But I have to be, do, give a warning this morning because there is a danger, inherent danger in fasting, like there is in any spiritual discipline. Um, we can turn fasting into an end unto itself rather than a means to an end. It can be merely an inter, external practice without an internal passion. It can be reduced to a habit without heart. It, we see an example of this in Luke 18 where Jesus uh, tells the story of a Pharisee who was a religious leader, a Pharisee who bragged to God in prayer that he fasted twice a week. Well, that wasn't a big deal because all Pharisees, all these religious guys a part of the Pharisees did fast twice a week. They would fast, fast on the second and fifth day of the week. And in doing that, we're going, like, why the second and fifth day of the week? Well, Jesus knew why, because these guys made a big show of fasting. They would put ashes on them and wear sackcloth and look like they were really somber, you know. You ever seen anybody look like, you know, they just look down in the dumps, you know. It's kind of what they did. And you know why the second and the fifth day of the week was the days they did this and they're out in public? Because the second and fifth days of the week in that culture, they didn't have refrigeration, by the way. That was market days. And everybody would be getting there in the market and in the cities, getting all their stuff. And so there's more people there to see them. And Jesus is, you know, simply condemned the practice of fasting when it was done in such a way as to receive public adulation. Sometimes we do crazy things to make people think that we're spiritual. And he's going like, nah, it's not the purpose of this. 
We have the ability to take that which is sacred and holy and, and meant to draw us closer to God and turn it into a merely mechanical uh, religious drill that we use to impress and, uh, others of our spirituality. When it was intended that it actually causes us to be drawn to God. And sometimes we pervert it. God even mentions this uh, in, in the Old, Old Testament. He, he prompted the prophet Zechariah to ask the people and the priest of Israel. He says this, he says, During those 70 years of exile, when you fasted and mourned in the summer, and at the festival in early autumn, which obviously was their habit, was it really for me that you were fasting? Zechariah asked the people, was it really for God that you were doing this for? Were you just doing it? Was it this religious ritual that you were going through? So the important thing for us to understand is we understand that fasting was an assumed thing. It's not just something we do because it's a religious ritual. It has a purpose beyond that. Now, what about looking in history? John Wesley, who is the guy who actually was the actually founded the Wesleyan Church and, and a lot of people called Methodist. Um, he he spoke of fasting. When he did, he said this. He says, first, when you fast, first let it be done unto the Lord with our eyes singly fixed on him. Let our intention herein be this, that, and this alone, we glorify God, to glorify God our Father, which is in heaven. He's saying this, when we, ha- when we decide to set aside a time to fast, here's what I think would please the heart of God. Let's talk about a time of spiritual discipline, not as a, as a day of fasting, he said, but a day of feasting. We're feasting upon God. Matter of fact, there's an orphanage in India I read about where they call the every Friday, all the, all the orphans and all the leaders there, all the people that work at this orphanage, they fast every Friday. And guess what they call it? They call it the day of feasting. They're not eating, they're feasting upon God. They're, they're, they have this, this time with God. And guess what the primary thing they pray about? This made me convicted. These Kids and these adults in India pray about the American church. And you're going like, well, you know, they understand. God has drawn them to that during this time of focus upon him. And so some main things, as I was looking at Scripture before we took it to talk about a passage in the Old Testament, some main points that we can draw from Scripture about fasting are this. First of all, fasting is not so much about food as it is about focus. It's not so much about food as it is about focus. The thing is, fasting, so often we make a big deal about not eating. Yes, fasting, part of fasting is abstaining from food for a period of time so we can take those times when we when we're, would normally be eating and spend time with God. It's about the focus upon that. And so you can fast for a health standpoint, and it's not the same thing as the biblical fast because the biblical fast was always for the purpose of establishing a deeper relationship with God. So let me ask you a question then. Have you ever been in a time where you desperately felt that you need God? When you were going through a struggle with a decision, when you were going through a health crisis, when you were going through some struggle with your kids or with somebody else in relationship, have you ever been through a time like that? Nobody here has ever had a time like that, I'm sure, right? Yeah, you have. Fasting, in a real sense, what it is, it's a time of abstaining from one thing to free up time to focus upon God. And I can tell you this, I can tell you in our culture in America, we probably need that more than any time and anybody in history because we are so busy as people. Would you agree? 
We are so busy as people. One of the problems, and we've been talking about prayer, prayer is yielding, yielding ourselves to God. The thing is, is, that's the primary thing of God. It takes time. And if we really want to, you know, I, I loved it when it said that, you know, in Acts, when, when the early church was, was uh, looking to who, see who the leaders are, I began to think, you know, it's so important. It's so important to have the right people in leadership in an organization, in a church or any place. And so often what we do is we look at people, we, we talk about people, and, and, we, and we talk about who should be leaders, you know, based on this and that and whatever. But the problem is, is really what we need to be doing is asking God, who do you want to be the leaders? And fasting and prayer is sometimes the only way we can get focused. We can pull ourselves away from all the stuff in the world and, and, and really focus upon what God wants us to do. So that's, that's the deal. Fasting is not so much about food as it is about focus. Number two, fasting is not so much about staying, saying no to the body as it is about saying yes to the spirit. You know, I believe in eating healthy. I know it doesn't show, but I believe in eating healthy, you know? And a matter of fact, first service, somebody came to my wife because I said this. I said, my wife, I call her Mrs. Miss Paleo. Now, don't, don't misunderstand that, okay? There's a lot of misunderstanding about what that means. Basically, that means we eat everything healthy. No processed foods in our house. <gasps> really? Yeah. Um, and, so, and so the deal is, is so we eat meats and vegetables and fruits. And we eat things that are healthy. Things that God made just the way they were. That's what real paleo is, by the way, okay? So ignore all everything else you've heard about that. That's what we mean. It's hugely important as that is. If you eat perfectly in everything, if you eat perfectly in everything you do, but your spirit is still not attuned to God, guess what? It's useless. So I hope you eat healthy. But if that's the only thing about your life, if your spirit is not attuned with God and not, you know, your body's still going to a place you don't want to go to. And God will make you a new body, I believe. And the deal is this, is so it's not so much about saying no to the body, it's about saying yes to the spirit. God wants us to focus upon the things that are most important. A third thing that I think that the Bible teaches us about fasting is this. Fasting is not about doing without, it's about looking within. It's not about doing without. The purpose of, like I said, about fasting is do without food or and you can do fasting in various ways, and I'm going to give you more information, not today, but down the road, I'll tell you in a little while, about this. It's about spending time with God looking within, because we need to do that in our lives. And every time I look in Scripture, it's about these people looking within themselves and asking the question, what is it that God wants me to do, and who is it we want me to be? And we need to withdraw from times and spend some time with God extra when we're going through these crisis times or the times of redirect. I would challenge every high school student that's getting ready to go to college before you ever decide where you're going. Spend time in prayer and fasting. Ask God, what is it, and I talked about this last week, what is it that God has called you to do? You know, what is my shape, my spiritual gifts, my heart, my abilities, my personality, my experiences, and God takes all of those and helps you to be what he wants you to be. Because you will never be happy in life just doing what your parents want you to do. Parents, I'm sorry. You'll only be happy in life, and you'll only be fulfilled in life doing what God calls you to do and to be. Now, your parents have great insight into that. But the reality is we have to understand that from God, and we can't do that in five minutes. So fasting is not about doing without, it's about looking within. And fa lastly, fasting is an outward response to an inward attitude and cry of the soul. It's an outward response. Sometimes we need to do something external 
that helps remind us and helps us focus upon things that are internal. And that's what fasting is. It's not so much about the lack of food. It's, so much, it's, it's more about this, this cry of the heart, this cry of the soul. So let's look for a minute at a, at a passage in the Old Testament. And I'm sure you've read this book thousands of times. No, I, I, I'm guaranteed you haven't. So if you have a Bible in any format, turn to the book of Joel. J-O-E-L. You're going like, yeah, it's in the Bible? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Joel, chapter, chapter 2. In Joel chapter 2, it's kind of a little past halfway through. Okay, here's my Bible. That's Joel right there, okay? So, you know, eh, a little bit past halfway, okay? That's where it is. Joel chapter 2. I love this passage of Scripture. As I was studying all the passages in Scripture that deal with fasting, this kind of stood out to me for a couple of reasons. I want to read this, and then I want to comment on it and make a closing challenge today as well. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. This is from the New Living Translation, which I'm reading today, which makes it a little clear. It says, that is why the Lord says, and let me tell you, let me give you a preface. That is what the Lord says. Joel is a, is a prophet, and he's, he's telling the people, and he's telling them why this is, all this stuff's happening to them. And so he says some things to them about how to turn back to God. So in, he says this, that is why the Lord says to me, says to you, and he's talking to the nation of Israel, turn back now, turn to me now, while there is still time. Sounds kind of dire, right? Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief. Instead, tear your hearts. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. He is not easily angered. He is filled with kindness and is eager not to punish you. And then he says this in verse 14. Who knows? Perhaps even yet he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of the terrible curse. It seems that the people at this time were discouraged because it seemed like everything was cursed. Perhaps he will give you so much that you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. Verse 15, blow the trumpet at Jerusalem, announce a time of fasting, call the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring everyone, the elders, and he starts naming them, the elders, the children, even babies. Call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. The priests who minister in the Lord's presence will stand before the people, between the people and the altar, weeping. Let them pray. Spare your people, Lord. They belong to you, so don't let them become an object of mockery. Don't let their name become a proverb of unbelieving foreigners who say, Where is the God of Israel? He must be helpless. When I read this, I was thinking of several things here that really apply to us so often in our culture and, and who we are. And if you go back to the beginning of the book of Joel, chapter 1, verse 2, it even begins even there talking about it because the first people he addresses, before he addresses anybody else, he says, hear this, you elders. He's going, church leaders. He said, you're the ones who have to understand what needs to be done. You're the ones who have to, many times, if it's a corporate fast or corporate time of need of urgent prayer, you need to call people to pray. Hear this, you elders. And when I heard that, I was thinking about a meeting I had this week downtown Peoria with, with the young pastor of a church and some other guys who were talking about us joining together and planting churches in this, in this region, central Illinois, all over the place. And you're going like, why do we need more churches? Let me tell you why we need more churches. Because studies recently show in the tri-county, just in the tri-county area, okay, right around here, there's over 300,000, 300 some thousand people in Woodford, Tazewell, and Peoria counties. 
You know how many of those people that are regularly involved are not regularly involved in church in any way? Over 220,000. You're going like, well, we got churches everywhere. If every church in the, in the Peoria area was filled up every week, we still we would still just make a barely make a dent. It's not getting people to go to churches and connecting people with God. And we have to understand. And when we when I heard that, I'm going like, we don't seem to think there's a desperate need because we come to a church here at Great Oaks and we have you know six seven hundred people a week. We're doing pretty well. We kind of arrived. No, we haven't. The deal is this, is there's thousands of people that don't know Jesus Christ in this area. Just, just here in this area. I'm not talking about all central Illinois. There's thousands of people. So we need to plant lots and lots of churches because I hate to tell you this, but newer churches reach more people for Christ than if you've been established for a while. We've been doing, we did a thing recently called Vital Signs, which is looking at the numbers of churches. And we look at, at almost every number at Great Oaks is healthy except for one. The healthy numbers are we have a large number of children that come to this church. We have a large number of youth that come to this church. We have a large number of people in small groups. We have a large number of, of, of people uh, who are serving. All healthy signals on the vital signs chart. <laughs> the one thing that I'm concerned about is, that, is, is the baptisms number. Because we're really low in baptisms now. Not used to be that way. I can remember many, many times... Jim and Barb Perley are sitting all the way back in the back back there. We go to their pool. We used to baptize before we had this building. We baptized people at their pool. And before that, we baptized at Don and Judy Phillips' pool outside. Had to be a warm day, by the way. You know, we did that. <laughs> but I can baptize. I remember, remember we, and there was much less people coming to the church then. And we'd baptize, you know, 15, 20 people every time we had baptism, sometimes up to 25 people. We did it on a regular basis. And we're still baptizing people. Yes, a couple of weeks from now we'll have baptism again and we'll baptize like eight or ten people. But percentage-wise, we, we should be reaching more and more. And what does it say? When we're established, we kind of think that we, you know, so does it mean that we're not reaching to the people that are unchurched? Do we, have we become so churched ourselves that we don't have any connection with people outside the community? Are we just simply not getting people to that point the way they, we need to? But the deal is this, I want to tell you that as a leader in the church, one of the things I, I think we need to understand is, is, is there is, this is not a time to say we've arrived and we don't need to do anything else. It's a time of desperation. The American church is losing ground. The last, last survey I've done recently, last survey I read the other day says that 7,000 people a day are leaving the American church. And we're not reaching that many people every day, by the way. We may become, if we keep going in that direction, what's going to happen is, is we'll become like Europe. We're less than 10% of the people in most countries, and some countries is less, less than 5% of the people are connected with any kind of church in any way, which not used to be true 100 years ago. So we ask the question, you know, what do we do? What do we do? Well, I hope you understand there's an urgency to what we do. Fasting is often associated, I've seen in Scripture, with a sense of death, spiritual desperation. Because in verse 12, it says, Joel says, uh, 2.12, Turn to me now while there is time. While there is time. Notice the sense of urgency and desperation. Because fasting is a, is a call to return to God. Israel's first need, like that of the prodigal son, was just to come home to the Father. It's not about not new strategies. It's just got, get, being connected with God. Simply saying to him, 
God was simply saying in, in, in this passage, you have been unfaithful to me, come home. I love what Andrew Murray has to say. Andrew Murray was a, a, is a, a preacher who wrote a lot of things I've read over the years. And, and Andrew Murray said this, fasting helps to express, to deepen, to confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. Fasting is not about externals. In, in verse 13, God says, don't tear your clothing in grief. Instead, tear your hearts. It's entirely possible to do a fast for the wrong reason, to go without food for a period of time and still not have a spiritual fast. It might help you from a health benefit, but it won't help you from a spiritual benefit, and that's what it's talking about in Scripture. Fasting is the response of a broken heart. Because John, why else would Joel say this? He says, come with weeping, fasting, and mourning. Because in a sense, what we do when we fast, and once again, remind you of what prayer is all about that Jesus talked about in Matthew 6 when he did the model prayer. It's about coming to God, recognizing who he is, yielding to, to his will, and then recognizing our dependence upon him. That's what prayer is all about. So in a sense, what it is prayer is all about, it's about repentance, saying we haven't been doing that. And the appropriate response when you've strayed is what? Repentance. And then, and then in verse 13, God is responsive. It says, he is gracious. God is gracious and merciful, not easily angered. Jim Cimbala, who's the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, which is this inner city church in New York, which is does, in Brooklyn, New York, which does an incredible ministry to people of all different, a lot of homeless people, a lot of people. And there's, there's actually the craziest mixture of people in that church I've ever heard of before. Brooklyn Tab has people that are, that are uh, uh, Ford Modeling Agency models that come to that church, people that are doctors and lawyers, and people that are homeless, all in the same, same facility. And Jim Cimbala says this, God is attracted to weakness. He's not attracted to strength, he's attracted to weakness. When we come before him and say, God, you know, I yield to your will. I recognize my need for you. In, prayer, in, in fasting is when we, fasting and prayer is when we intensify that for a period of time in our life. Fasting is the humble response to immense responsibility. Joel, calls a, uh, Joel here in Scripture calls a solemn assembly. In verse 15, he says, Blow the trumpet, announce a time of fasting, and then he urges everyone to get there. The elders, the children, the babies. He even says to the bride and the groom. Why? Because God's name and reputation were at stake. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about this? Okay, don't raise your hands right now because this is not a survey, but this is just a thought. If you call yourself Christian... Besides meaning that I want to follow Christ in my life, you know what else that means? If people know you're a Christian, it means you're a representative of God. And so when you represent, misrepresent God, God's reputation is lowered. You ever thought about that? And so in a real sense, what we have to understand is he's saying, everybody come because he said, people are looking at the nation of Israel, is what he's saying here in Joel. And he says, people are looking at the nation, these, these people, and they look at them and they're, they're far away from God and they're supposed to represent God. But what they're doing, God's reputation is at stake. And that's an immense responsibility. So prayer and fasting is the only result. Now, let me conclude by saying this. My fear 
And we spent five weeks already talking about prayer. My fear is that we will talk so much about prayer that we are lulled into thinking that we're actually praying. When we're really not. Think of it this way. Let me just give you a picture. Jesus talked in pictures. I love that. I call parables. So vivid. I mean, the thing is, you'll forget 90 to 95% of what I said today by Wednesday. That's a fact. It's the most horrible statistic for public speakers in the history of the world, but it's the truth. Studies have been shown that to be true. Now, if you wrote it down, you might remember it a little bit longer, only, but only if you look at the notes that you wrote down. But you know what you will remember? You'll remember the stories. Because that's what Jesus taught in so people remembered those things. It was a purpose. My fear is this. It's, it's, think of it this way. You walk into somebody's house. Let's paint a picture. And you notice that the door squeaks, the paint is peeling, the legs on their chairs are broken, and the windows are cracked and hanging off the hinges. You just kind of notice that. You couldn't help but notice it. The house is in disarray. Then they take you out to the garage, because they're all proud of their garage. They take you out to the garage, and hanging on the wall on perfect, in perfect order is gleaming tools. Every tool known to man, every power tool known to man, every hand tool known to man, gleaming on the walls. And you recognize they have some credible tools, but they're gleaming. They have never been used. See, tools are only good if they're put to use. Likewise, we have this incredibly powerful tool called prayer. But it will do us no good if we just study about it and read about it and talk about it and we keep it in storage and never pull it out, it'll do us no good unless we apply it to our problems, our concerns, our relationships, and our responsibilities. Prayer is a tool that God has given us to use on all the disrepair in our lives, in our church body, in our communities, in our nation. And there's times in our lives when it's, things are in such disrepair that we need to have a special tool, and that's called fasting and prayer. Where we intensify the level of our communication with God in a way that we've never done before. I would urge you to use the experience of fasting to restore your focus and revive the power of prayer in your life. This fall... I believe that, we ha that God has the potential of doing stuff in our church that he's not done in a long time. And that's restore us to the original vision of what we were here for, to reach our community for Christ and to restore broken all kind of things. We're going to do a thing this fall that we've done multiple times. It's called, a, it's called a campaign. We've done this before. The first year I was here in 2002, that fall, we were over in the school, about 100, 120 people over there in the school, and we decided we needed some focus on what we were going to do. And we did a thing called 40 Days of Purpose. Uh, it, was, it's a, it was a booklet, a study done by Rick Warren, Saddleback Church. Uh, since then, that book has become, 40, uh, The Purpose Driven Life has become the number one best-selling book in history except for the Bible. And in doing so, what happened was is we went through that thing. And the thing was, and that was so essential about it, is we studied about it in, in worship. Our small groups focused upon it, and we had devotionals all around the same thing. This fall, we're going to do a thing. It's another Saddleback uh, thing called Transformed. And we've, we've already, I've already met with our small group leaders about it about a month ago, talking about this this fall, starting in mid-September, the weekend after Labor Day weekend. 
And the thing is, Transformed is a series that focuses on seven areas of health in our life. It focuses on our spiritual health, our physical health, our mental health, our emotional health, our relational health, our financial health, and our vocational health. Because I don't know if you recognize this, and I, th I think you do. Those are all areas of life that everybody struggles in. And so what we're going to do in preparing for that, though, I think the thing that's going to make the difference in how we apply the truths of the teaching, the, the truths, and we're gonna have, you're going to have opportunity to purchase these, these, these journals. But actually, this is more than a journal. This is actually a, a one-piece-fits-all uh, thing. It's going to have places to, to do sermon notes. It's going to have daily devotionals. And it has small group place, uh, notes in here as well, all in one book. I, thought, I, I talked to the people at Saddleback, and I said, thank you for finally getting it right. No, I didn't say it that way. But uh, I'm going like, all in one book for 12 bucks. You know, it's leather bound. Like, how many, often can you buy a leather bound? You're going like, 12 bucks? Yeah, yeah, just, just do without lattes for the next three days, and you'll pay for this. Okay. Uh, but the deal is this. Okay, we can come and do that, and I think it's going to be huge because multiple exposures to the same thing, that's really been the benefit every time we've done one of these fall campaigns. We've done this several times in the life of Great Oaks. It's our time of greatest growth in groups, greatest growth in numbers. It's always been the thing where people have grown in so many ways. But this year I want us to do even more. I want us to prepare for this. Because we have to come to this this fall in, in September. I don't want us to wait till September to do this. So middle, middle of August, I'm going to challenge the church and I'm going to give information how to do this, that each one of us would fast and pray for one day a week. Leading up to the 40 day, uh, leading up to Transform Series. And in doing so, what you will do, and I'm going to give you information on what to do with that, is you will spend time preparing and yielding your heart so when God begins to teach you through your daily devotionals, through your small group uh, studies, and through teaching altogether, when we begin to teach you, your heart will be prepared and fertile. I think that's the one element we need to do more of in our lives. And so we're going to be doing that. And so starting, in, uh, I will give you more information uh, there. But, it, but if you're going through a struggle in your life right now, I will challenge you. If you need information about what to do in prayer and fasting, I can give you tons of it. Bill Bright, genius of an organization who led a Christian organization for many years. Every year, his whole organization, which was huge, would fast and pray for 40 days. It was one of the most effective Christian organizations in the world at reaching college students for Christ. There's other places that we've done. In my own life, I've personally shared with you that there's times in my life when I've done it as well. Three-day fast, and then I did a two-week fast I shared with you before many years ago for preparation for coming here. I didn't know about Great Oaks at the time. I didn't even know what the Midwest looked like. I'd never been here before. But during those two-week period of fasting and seeking God's will, it wasn't about doing without food. It was about spending intense time with God in prayer and saying, God, I want more than anything to recognize who you are, to, to yield my will to you, and, and to, to say, God, I need you. And in doing so, God opened some doors. And, and I can tell you, this is by far the, the best church I've ever been a part of. I think it's because God honors us when we yield ourselves to him. And fasting and prayer is for that purpose. It's for those intense times in life when we prepare for something, we're going through a struggle, or we need some, some we'd have a time of desperation in our lives. And if you're not going through one right now, you've not been to one before, I guarantee sometime in your life you will have one. 
because we live in a broken world. I'm not a pessimist, I'm a realist. So, what are we going to do? Jesus didn't say, if you fast. He said, when you fast. He assumed that that would be a part of our makeup and habits in our life to grow closer to him. So we're going to take it seriously? Or is it just going to be something like animal sacrifice that, yeah, it was in the Old Testament, we don't do that anymore? I don't think so. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your incredible love. We pray that you would enable us this morning to really turn to you in such a way that we would understand exactly what it is that you want us to do. And in doing so, God, sometimes it takes a withdrawal from a lot of the things of the world, a lot of distractions. Maybe for a day a week, for a period of time, we just simply, uh, we do without some food so we can spend some extra time with you, God. And in doing so, what we do is you begin to transform us in a way that we've never, never been transformed before. We pray, God, that you would enable us in a real sense to understand how important this is. That every decision in life really need ultimately through prayer, and sometimes in prayer and fasting. Every decision, every major decision, even sometimes smaller ones, can be more clear when we withdraw from all the distractions of the world. And we come to you, God, and we open our hearts to you, God, through this time, this intense time with you. Thank you, God, that in Scripture you give us these directions. And you show us what it means to not, living a Christian life is not just showing up at church on Sunday mornings, not just being religious, not just going through rituals, but it's about living in a close connection with you. A connection, God, where we begin to understand your heart better and who you are. And in doing so, God, we continually yield parts of our life to you, God, that we've, we've held on to for so long. And in doing so, what you do, God, in a real sense is you change us from the inside out. And you help us, God, to grow in ways we never thought possible. So guide us this morning, God. Guide us this week. Guide us this year. Guide us this fall as we, as we undertake this, this study, this time of, of looking at your word individually through devotional time, this time in our small groups. And God, especially help us through this time of preparation leading up to Transformed. That truly, God we would see exactly what you talk about in Romans 12 too. That we'd be transformed by the renewing of our minds in all these different areas of our life. Guide us now, God, this week and all we say and do that we would just honor you with all things. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.